Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 12. It's another solo episode with me. Sorry that most of my podcasts usually come out Tuesday, and this one is definitely late, but I've been doing lots of research, and this will be a very information jam packed episode. How is everyone doing, though, in this age of coronavirus? First and foremost, I really hope that everyone and their loved ones are staying safe and self isolating. There are tons of support everywhere online, and I hope that you are finding your online community. Speaking of which, my online podcast community has finally launched, I believe, a little bit over a week ago. We have weekly by member, for member talks, and we are all scheduled out until May. Members are teaching each other topics like posture while working from home, from a motor coach, marketing in a recession, how government policy affects the social fabric of a country by a Singaporean policymaker, and how to achieve financial freedom by a finance coach. We have Members spanning four different continents. I believe we're over 70 members now, almost 80. And you'll definitely get the network, and I'll help you make introductions based on what you need, both within the network and outside in my personal network. We have a poll going on right now What else um, about what else Get World Savvy can provide, such as trainings and specific skills, panels on understanding problems in different industries, facilitation for better networking amongst members, and weekly news pushes from different geographical areas. I am full out servicing this community, so if you're interested in working abroad, capturing future opportunities, and meeting interesting people, you should definitely join us. Today, I want to talk about something on everyone's minds, COVID-19. Now, I don't want to be a broken record, so instead of the stats of how the U.S. actually surpassed China's um, cases today, I'm not going to be talking about all that stuff and telling you guys to self-quarantine. I want to talk to you about what we can learn from China in terms of businesses and what businesses did there to reinvent themselves during the COVID-19 crisis. What did businesses do to succeed during these turbulent times? What interesting strategies did we see so that we can know what to expect in other places in the world? And how can we take advantage of these similar opportunities and lead to similar successes? By learning from what Chinese businesses did, what industries or cases ended up doing really well, we can take action today to make sure us as individuals and our companies make it out of this crazy time, hopefully even better than when the virus even started. I'm going to break down the companies by industries from offline food and retail to entertainment and then to online learning. And then we'll spend some time talking about Chinese consumers, their actions, and what the future might look like. And I'll touch on travel a little bit there because I know you are all interested in travel. I'm interested in travel. I had to cancel my bachelorette. And yes, I'm still pretty bitter about that, even though I feel really grateful for everything else. Nothing else has really changed for me since I've been working from home. Well, I was nomadic for a year, and then I've been working from home since I came back for the last about three months before all this happened. So this is kind of normal for me. It's really funny that everyone's like, wow, you're so lucky you get to work from home, but now this hits and they regret thinking that. <laughs> but anyway, let's start with restaurants in China. Restaurants and shops are clearly hit very bad, and now all around us, everything is closing down, right? Even though clearly going online 
is evidently a big trend. To me, it's actually quite surprising because I swear when I was back in China in 2019, you need to already be on a bunch of platforms in order to even survive. In my head, there was no way a restaurant or a shop could possibly compete without having a community on WeChat, a mini program on WeChat to run deals. Um, being on Dajong Dianping, where people go and search where to eat and likely Xiaohongshu or Douyin to promote themselves. But I guess even then, there are those that are only starting to come online now. When even those that still didn't have an online presence by 2020 are now forced to go online or shut down, of course they'll do it. Unlike the West, though, where Shopify and D2C has really carved out a piece of market outside of the regular e-commerce platforms like Amazon and eBay in China, you still start a store on a platform. Every store is basically run on a platform, even those typical D2C. Um, D2C has a different meaning in China and that is a story for a different episode. When these new stores, though, come online, what they're really hoping for is to depend on the platform behind them to survive and the traffic that these platforms can generate because people all shop on massive platforms like Taobao and Tmall and JD. Now, the first thing that we're seeing in food and retail is that these mega platforms are also doing their best to serve the sellers on their platforms with money and resources. Many have offered low and zero interest loans, interest exemption. Alibaba has opened up Taobao live streaming for use by more sellers, not just verified top sellers, and many operational tools for free. For example, like email marketing or WeChat marketing or like probably printing services. I'm not actually really sure, but I know that those are all the integrated operating tools that Taobao has. The second thing that restaurants are doing instead of simply going on delivery in China is going on live streaming. So in mid-February, Alibaba launched a Cloud Chef event allowing chefs from eight major food and beverage brands such as Xibei and Heidi Lao to open small stoves in the kitchen at home and cook live on live stream and at the same time sell online ingredients and packages in online stores or semi-finished products. The third strategy that food and retail businesses took was an employee sharing model. Now, this gets really interesting. When it comes to food retail and new retail, new retail being defined as online and offline blurring. So, for example, Alibaba has a subsidiary. It's called Fresh Hippo Grocery Stores, which are mostly robot-driven and even includes a restaurant where you order using your phone on their app and a robot waiter will glide up to you and then flip open its lid and deliver you your meal. But Fresh Hippo is mostly known for its grocery delivery. While some industries felt pain, like restaurants, offline stores during COVID-19, grocery and food delivery saw a huge rise. No surprise since everyone was staying at home. So just like how Amazon is hiring for 100,000 warehouse workers as soon as possible, there was also a lack of online retail and delivery people. With many restaurants and offline companies unable to pay their employees, the ones that are really struggling, the corporate version of the sharing economy was born. Fresh Hippo would borrow employees from restaurants that were closed to fill positions both in-store and for delivery. Fresh Hippo would compensate and train the employees, and after the crisis is over, the chef or waiter would still go back to work for their original restaurant that they're employed under. Now, this is not a temporary thing. It was such a success 
during the crisis that Alibaba announced a few days ago that they will be building an employee sharing platform to be launched in April. Currently, more than 5,000 employees of Fresh Hippo are actually shared. There's not a lot of information out there yet around how this will work regarding lack of familiarity with the three kilometer delivery range for just any shared employee to walk in and do delivery and also employee safety benefits and recall issues. I expect that it will work similarly to other parts of the shared economy where Uber drivers and cars are not directly employed or owned by Uber. I imagine once a shared employee like an uber driver is onboarded they can pick up odd jobs from the platform but this is just a guess um i actually haven't managed to find any information about this i just know that alibaba will be launching this in april the fourth trend i see driven by covid is the birth of hyper local community retail community retail is the decisive battlefield of the retail industry in the future, at least for China. And it's believed that 60% of retail will occur in neighborhoods. What this means is that even before coronavirus, the concept of community e-commerce was already growing in China, primarily through WeChat groups. So I'll give you some background about the WeChat group phenomenon now, and this will make a little bit more sense. So WeChat is like all the social media platforms combined in the West. It started as a messenger platform with a voice note function, allowing many older generations to get on without needing to know how to type and for young urban workers to connect and send money back home. WeChat group chats have been turned into a business by many businesses. There are thought leaders that monetize off exclusive group chats by having members pay to join, and businesses use groups for onboarding, membership, retention, and everything in between. By creating groups of potential customers or existing customers and sending out really carefully curated content for each group. Businesses would often have multiple WeChat groups, one serving more as an interest group, another for potential customers, and another for VIP customers. Kind of like how some companies would do this via Facebook groups right now. Note me, I do this now. I learn from the Chinese model. This model is starting to be used more often in the West as communities become ever more important to businesses because community is a new moat this year, right? So in on WeChat, every... Every single group you have on Messenger will also be in WeChat. There will be 500-person groups around learning marketing. Every course would have a WeChat group. Every study group would have a WeChat group. All the actors, all the production staff, everyone would also be in a WeChat group. So WeChat groups are everywhere. Everyone's in so many. For example, a makeup business might want to publish content on how to apply foundation, so they create an official account and post it there. They then loop their subscribers into a WeChat group for better engagement, discussions on beauty, and invites to events. The users that show more interest will get pulled into another WeChat group that focuses on presenting products, how to best use them, and service the users who are considering making purchases or have made their first purchases already. These users, upon hitting a certain engagement level, may be added to another group of VIP members where they are sent the newest products, promotions, and are encouraged to give feedback, share, or review for the company, kind of like key opinion customers. What's different about this usage of groups compared to email and other kinds of marketing campaigns in North America is it's not just one-way communication from businesses. You get connected with others with a shared interest like a community and can chat amongst yourselves and you can also respond back to the business via chat. 
Something else that has risen in popularity, which we're tying it back now to retail, is chi in China is social commerce. This term means buying and selling with someone that is in your network of people that you know. In third and fourth tier cities, so less populated, lower GDP, cheaper standard of living, companies are rising by utilizing community managers to create local neighborhood WeChat groups, which probably already exist actually without these companies coming in to create them to sell products through it. Groceries is a very common example. The community manager receives the whole order and people in the neighborhood come to pick up their order from the manager. So these are kind of like group buying cheaper groceries. These managers are also typically housewives or retired women who are social and trusted by the community. But now companies that didn't have their start in group or community e-commerce are now not investing as much into central giant grocery stores where there's millions of SKUs. So think of your typical maybe Costco here in very local places. And that's where people drive to get groceries. And because of the pandemic, people wouldn't travel that far for groceries. They're kind of used to getting delivery or just buying from local places now. So instead, these giant companies such as Alibaba and Fresh Hippo are building mini grocery stores and stations in neighborhood communities. Now, this is not to get confused with the convenience stores that don't carry a lot of things. This way, these companies like Alibaba is full of data. They know basically who lives where at this point, right? Like, and they can target the right SKUs for a specific neighborhood and run analysis on what to carry that that particularly neighborhood really likes, like what's particularly popular there and offer more tailored and personalized services even there based on income levels, socioeconomic status that this neighborhood has. Now, most people in China live in complexes of one to 10 apartments. And there would be, for example, a fresh hippo mini serving each individual like complex of several apartments. Let's move on to the entertainment industry. A lot of offline entertainment businesses in China have stated that their cash reserves can only usually last three months. So while the global film industry is facing a 5 billion USD in losses amid the coronavirus outbreak, China, Chinese film, film industry had nowhere to turn but the tech industry. So actually, during these last few months, many movies sold all their rights to ByteDance, which is the creator of Douyin and TikTok, as many more tech companies move into media. Like, did you know that yeah, Tencent is actually one of the largest producers, really, really big in the film industry. They had an end credit in like Transformers. So lots of tech companies entering the movie industry and media. It's a great place to market, but that's also a story for a different day. When it comes to clubs and gyms, everyone is also on live streaming. DJs are streaming online and trainers are going live. They usually sell products or services. And even though it won't make up for loss of business for, you know, being remote and, you know, social isolating, they usually do end up building a great brand during this time and increasing their online presence because everyone is browsing online at this time. Finally, the last thing that I see in entertainment is that there are still a lot of internet clubs with a lot of computers for gaming in Asia. These cafes are renting out their computers by the day for under 10 RMB. Rent whatever assets that you have, right? 
Okay, finally, let's talk briefly about online education, an industry that has definitely soared. In fact, soared so much that there's a funny story about how students all had to use this one app and they decided to team together to give so many one stars that this app was removed from the app store so they didn't have to study. I literally died. China's online education market size has grown from 222 billion RMB in 2016 to 454 RMB in 2020. It's basically doubled just over the last four years. Some problems that every online education platform is still dealing with, even in North America now, but also in China because so many people, right, is long distance learning strategies and tools, making sure that the content is good, limited teacher resources, increasing users that can cause instability in the back end, so tech issues, and generating operating instructions for new users as fast as products are pushed out. Online education is also one of the only three-way platforms, students, teachers, and parents. E-learning platforms in China have incorporated social functions similar to e-commerce. So for example, many platforms are utilizing the same strategies where of group buy, where you can get a couple dollars discount by just sharing the course within WeChat. Chinese companies are forever iterating and innovating around social functions and user loyalty. They are experts. I think that we should all be learning from China around social functions and referrals, user loyalty. Another way e-learning is improving is through fragmented learning. In a world where most students are watching 15-second TikTok videos, or were they 10 seconds actually, attention spans are much shorter, yet the consumption of information within a short time period has actually increased. People are being are getting really used to consuming and understanding information in short periods of uh, spurs. Many platforms in China are playing with fragmented learning, meaning that concepts are taught in 20-second videos or short text. This is a different teaching method that a lot of teachers and students are adapting to. The same e-learning companies are also using AI technology to form knowledge maps around the concepts of fragmented information to connect them from easy to learn to hard and systematically build up a very strong knowledge structure on what kinds of information to feed the student. The third trend that we see in e-learning is once again going into live streaming. Now, this is very funny where Billy Billy is a popular, more humorous live streaming and video platform, most popular in lower tier cities, is turned into a non-professional education platform. Influencers or KOLs, key opinion leaders in China are teaching secondary biology classes. And many students come to see their favorite influencers while taking the class and interacting with each other in the live stream comments that pop up on their phone. Even news platforms have partnered with live streaming platforms like Billy Billy to live stream out what was happening in Wuhan, how the hospitals were being built, and interviews with on-the-ground staff to educate the public. In every way, the biggest trend we see is live streaming. Everyone is live streaming, and paired with the 5G area, it'll even it'll be even more powerful and impactful. AR and VR will be used more in new retail and restaurants, and every single industry will be part of the digital economy. We can see from China that there's a lot of good news, so we will all be all right. Everything will be fine. So in terms of consumer behavior, 
let's face it, history is rewriting itself. When panic set in in China, there was a lockdown. Places sold out of sanitizer. As soon as work from home was mostly announced, monitors sold out as they are sold out of Costco this week. I just checked. I found exactly five monitors in Walmart. Owen and I picked up three for me, him, and my mom. The only thing Chinese people didn't fight for, though, was toilet paper. So can someone still explain to me why we are all stocking up on toilet paper? You can just wash yourself if you run out. So this is probably the longest homecoming period for most Chinese people and for most of us. Except for following the development of the disease outbreak, I did some research into what the Chinese have been doing at home from a report by Kantar. I might not have pronounced that right. Understandably, watching video is the most mentioned time killer. Makes sense that live streaming is so hot right now. So watching long video, short video, TV are amongst the most mentioned activities. Digital entertainment is also popular, such as playing mobile or online games online entertainment like karaoke and watching live video on live stream. So it's actually considered basically its own separate category. It might be an exaggeration that the outbreak has turned every Chinese into a chef actually, but there are 28% of people that say that they really enjoy cooking and baking at home in their spare time. And a lot of people actually really enjoy parenting time. The same amount of people are working out at home. Online education was mentioned by 30% of respondents and 26% mentioned offline learning and reading. But as almost everyone won't meet others for a long time, eventually people won't, bo won't bother to take out of their skin, which is actually a big industry in China. So only 10% mentioned that they would spend more time on beauty, and that is one of the largest retail categories in China. Interestingly, 54% said that they are sleeping to kill time. During the outbreak, many new and emerging retail channels experienced explosive growth because number one, all consumers are required to stay at home as much as possible. And number two, many shops are closed for an extended period. And number three, most families need fresh groceries to cook at home. So we already talked about how these industries and these companies were innovating, but in the perspective of consumers, 55% claim that they have bought from an e-commerce platform online to offline channels such as Lulama, Meituan, Dingdong, Maicai, which connects stores with consumers at home are mentioned by 35% of respondents. Since so many people are staying at home, the residential complex community WeChat groups became a key information source. And then surprisingly, it emerged as a new group purchasing channel, which is mentioned by 35%, as well as neighbors would join together to launch group purchases. So during this epidemic, we definitely see an increase in trusted WeChat groups and companies targeting an individual trusted in a neighborhood to be a community and coordinate group buys. The outbreak has also forced many consumers to try things that they've never tried before, creating an opportunity really for many new sectors, specifically online medical consultancy, online education, working from home software, and paying for digital entertainment services. As desperate as these times really might seem, especially to all the offline stores not getting any more foot traffic and many services losing all their customers, we do need to keep in mind that this pandemic will pass. And what's still being seen in China is the industries that boom during this pandemic, like online learning, telemedicine, remote work, self-serve grocery stores, and um, 
snacks, medicine, cleaning supplies. It's really about who can keep their customers after this has all ended. We can also see from the data how Chinese consumers will change after the pandemic. First of all, everyone claims that they want to go out. The most mentioned activity for what do you want to do when what do you want to do most when the outbreak is over is go out to dine with others, followed by go shopping and outdoor entertainment and outdoor exercise and workout and travel was even mentioned by 45% of respondents. This means that although right now the travel, dining and offline retail industries are practically dead and closed down right now, it is tough times indeed. However, consumers will be back tenfold ready to buy, dine out and travel when this is over. For the companies are able to shift online and survive, your business will be thriving. While for the new businesses and online platforms that consumers and businesses switched over to because of COVID-19, the challenge is whether you are able to serve customers well enough for them to stay after they have more options. The offline options are coming back. In this snapshot survey by Kantar, under this circumstance, Chinese people's consumption attitude will become for sure more conservative. There are more people agreeing to save up for rainy days, although there's already a really big saving culture in China, reduce unnecessary spending rather than agreeing to enjoy instant pleasures, right? So people will treasure things that money cannot buy, such as spending more time with friends and family, the spirituality and just self-development. And we're seeing a lot of industries rise in that and online coaching is definitely rising in China as well as in North America. So knowing all this and knowing that general trends of consumer behavior will be similar across markets when it comes to the same crisis, I have three major takeaways. So number one, this is an opportunity for individuals, companies, and entrepreneurs to think about what new consumer problems have arised and what new solutions we can provide for our clients and customers. Customers are more likely to try new things during this time as they're forced to change the old way that they used to do things. We have a big opportunity here to innovate and build to help people. Something that I have done lately is launch two Facebook groups, one a community professionals already in tech who are listeners to this podcast, get world savvy, join it. And my goal is to provide them level up opportunities and services. Another one is a free Facebook group where I will be giving free content and support to those still job searching. I'm offering value to both, but I also see it as an opportunity to build an online community where most people are feeling a lack of social, physical communities and want to spend more time online. It's a great time for me to build out my email list for future product launches for this podcast while supporting those in need as well. For businesses there, of course, is the need to pivot. Instead of regular launches, it's important to move fast and forgo short-term gains for the long-term relationships that you're able to build with customers. If you're a business that's not able to do that, then launching low-cost offers, memberships could be the way to go rather than high-ticket offers that you might have had planned. Something else that I've been working on that actually launched yesterday is Kuluen, which is a course hosting platform for dance, yoga, or music teachers, fitness instructors to teach online. And that's because they're the most affected businesses out there. And this is something that I really saw an opportunity to be able to make an impact. So takeaway number two, 
is that even after we're able to gain new customers in this online age by solving customer pain points, the biggest uncertainty is whether they will continue using our products after the pandemic. Now, this is something that I think about quite often. Will people still participate in virtual events? Will arts and fitness teachers still want to diversify income streams and teach online? I would like to bet that a good proportion would. I would compare it almost to when people ask me how I sold sellers on joining the Wish platform. I told them, well, it's easy. It's just another distribution channel for them. They're not choosing between whether to go on Amazon or Wish. They will go on both, two separate audiences, two income streams, two ways to make money. Now, this is the same with what I believe arts and fitness teachers teaching online will also do. Now, I'm talking about this because this is what I launched and that's something that I'm familiar with right now. Some will stop teaching online and others will find that this is a good alternative income stream. They may start doing both and diversifying so that in case we all have to go online and remote again, they are ready. As with consumers, they now know of more options open to them. More options mean more competition, but also better products and businesses competing on providing better services and experiences. Finally, takeaway three. I believe that there will be a surge of people wanting to dine out and shop as soon as we're freed from the confines of our own home. This will be a really slow process. So even if we do hit a recession, the best way to recession proof is to offer low fixed cost offerings. And the easiest way to do that is to have more online offerings. This is an opportunity for us to all pivot analyze whether our businesses and our own market value is recession-proof and valuable in the digital world today. That's it for episode 12. This was a very long one. I always say that in solo episodes because I'm just talking myself and I don't even know how long I've been talking for. So I would love to hear how you're feeling though, whether you need support and what kind of support, your main takeaways from this episode and your opinion on the opportunities and light out of these dark times. Join my community at Get World Savvy on Facebook or connect with me on LinkedIn at Ivy Shoe. I'd love to hear from you and see you in the next episode. 